Good evening and welcome to tonight's June 2023 Lobby Training Part 2, preparing you and your team for our Lobby Day in D.C. with our members of Congress. It's going to be an open Q&A tonight, and this is part of our weekly training programs that provides CCL supporters with access to in-depth training opportunities on topics related to climate change and effective climate advocacy. I'm your host, Brett Cease. And tonight we're going to be joined by our wonderful government affairs team, Ben Pendergrass, CCL's Vice President of Government Affairs, and Jen Tyler, Senior Director of Government Affairs for CCL. And before we get started with the open Q&A, a reminder that you can start putting your questions in that Q&A box right now. We wanted to remind you that part one is already available. You can find it on our CCL YouTube channel. You can find it by clicking on that link to reviewing primary and supporting asks. You can also search for primary and supporting asks as well as Ben or Jen's name in community. It should be one of the top hits. One note we wanted to share right off the bat is that primary and supporting ask documents, those one pagers we've all come to know and love, will be uploaded to CCL community by the end of the week. That's May 26th. We're going to make sure to have the proper time to upload and update those, and you'll have them well ahead of our lobby meetings. And a reminder again that we will post tonight's training on YouTube by tomorrow afternoon. We also want to share, we also want to share that the lobby meeting plans for you if you're a liaison or a lobby meeting lead at this point are extended. The deadline now is June 2nd. We are using them as a guide to solicit, discuss, and prioritize everyone's ideas for the lobby meeting. By no means do they need to be fully followed if you are going to be in DC, but there's a way for you to work through some of those appreciation, your primary goal, your supporting asks, open-ended questions to really help prepare ahead of time what you think is going to be for a productive meeting. So you can find all that planning guidance on the Planning Your Lobby Meeting training page, and there's a link in the chat I've just put to where you can both find the actual meeting template as well as where to submit them online. And at this point, um, again, if there is a primary liaison um, attending, but they aren't going to be in D.C., you can make sure to coordinate with them to designate somebody else to also send and communicate with that liaison to have that communication loop be open. So with that, though, I'm going to pass it to Ben to share a quick review of our primary asks. Thanks, Brett. I'm happy to see everybody again tonight. It's just been a couple days. I hope if you weren't able to join us last Thursday, you can check out that video because we really did. We did a lot of talking on Thursday, so we thought it would be a lot more productive and a good use of your time to be here to answer any questions you might have. But just as a quick review, we have two, two primary asks this year that we really want to focus on. We want to be focused on permitting reform. It's extremely important. I don't have the slide that I like to show every time, showing how big of a, how big of a difference it makes for emissions reductions, but it, it is super important. And so we are going to be focused on permitting reform that drives down carbon pollution by speeding up the approval of clean energy projects and protects the health and safety of the American people in our communities. The second primary ask is just for the House, and it's one of our favorite things, the Energy Innovation and Carbon Dividend Act. We expect it to be introduced in the coming weeks. We still don't know if introduction will come right before the June conference or right after, but this is a great time to remind members of the House that this is a really important bill, that a carbon price continues to be a really key tool in our toolbox. 
to reach those emissions reductions we know we need by 2050 and bring it up with new members that have not heard of it again, revisit members that have been co-sponsors before, give them a heads up that it's coming. And like I said on Thursday, you know, really try to like tailor our approach to the, the history we've had with members regarding that bill because we have been lobbying on it for several years. And so I think it's one of those things that we have to be thoughtful about our approach and really give freshmen a chance to get educated on the bill, but maybe some members that have been around for six years or more, like they, they've heard about it or they, they might have new staff that might need to hear about it, but just give some thought to that. Um, but those are our two primary asks. That's where our focus is going to be in June. Thank you so much, Ben. And also a reminder of our supporting ask is a brief review of Thursday's discussion. This year, the government affairs team has settled on these five supporting asks, the RISE Act, the Increased Technical Service Provider Access Act of 2023, the Save Our Sequoias Act, the Seedlings for Sustainable Habitat Restoration Act of 2023, and the Ready for Disasters Act. And again, all of these will have one-pagers available by the end of the week uploaded by our government affairs team. And if it's helpful, we also have this table for the June 2023 supporting asks where you can see by topic which is most appropriate for Senate or House members. A reminder again that there is no expectation for you to introduce any more than one of these if you think it is strategic for your meeting. So by no means in seeing that list of five different supporting asks, should you expect to introduce all five? We're asking you and your team as you prepare for June to think through which one or at most two of these you think would best align with your member of Congress's interest to help continue to move them forward in being the climate champions we want each member of Congress to be. And with that, um, we can start taking some questions. And as always the rule, please direct all hard questions towards Jen. All right, thanks. I can't wait to hear what you guys have to talk about with us tonight. Excellent. Yeah, thank you, Ben. And uh, one of the ones that I know is at the very top most voted already, actually, is one that we are going to make sure to review because we talked about it right at the very beginning before a lot of people hopped on here because we're already at 250 for attendees. And we're going to go through the most popular ones first. So if you see one in particular, you want to make sure that we spend time on, make sure to give as many thumbs up as you'd like tonight. So Greg Jason asks this great question, is CCL National going to prepare a one-pager on why permitting reform is needed the ask is clear, but supporting information is needed to drive a lobby discussion. Amen to that, Greg. No, absolutely. We will have an ask sheet that should be up by the end of the week that lays out a concise message on permanent reform. And but one that I really recommend that people do is for your own talking points, review some of uh, Dana, our great research coordinator, some of his webinars and his slides and just grab some of those statistics just straight from Dana is a great way to start that conversation. And if it's helpful, I'll drop a link again in the chat where you can find those, but both the primary and the supporting asks, just due to all of the, um, right now, the competing needs our government affairs team has are going to be completed by the end of this week. They are currently up, but they will be by the end of this week, well before lobby days. So Brenda asked this next most upvoted question, are there restrictions to what we can bring into Rayburn or the other House and Senate buildings this year we should be aware of, aside from the obvious weapons, et cetera. 
I'll, I'll chime in at least for the for the House side, um, the Senate side. Who knows what's going on over there? Maybe Ben can speak to it. Um, but no, I, I think pretty much just weapons and things that you would think not to bring. So double check for any pepper spray, mace, pocket knives, things like that, that you might not realize you've been carrying around. Um, but water bottles, food, all of that um, is, is totally kosher to bring in. There are limitations on what can go in the Capitol. So if you are crossing over from the Senate side to the House side, um, or you plan on going in the Capitol Visitor Center within the Capitol itself, there are more limitations, but the House and Senate office buildings um, are fairly accessible. Um, that yes, everything is back to normal in Congress, as normal as Congress can be. So everything you remember about pre-COVID, um, it's the same thing. You don't need to be escorted. Um, you can just walk into the entrances. The only thing, and I think this is still correct, Jen, and you notice I, there's some doors that aren't open still they still have aren't having some staffing issues so you might be prepared for like slightly longer wait times yep and there will be a pretty detailed map that allison will have provided at the conference that'll show all of the updated entrances where you guys should head for each office building so that'll all be prepared yeah that'll be definitely a helpful part of the overall program for june um this is a great question from ann who should offices be directed to if interested in co-sponsoring the energy innovation act that's a great question. Um, so we are uh, playing a little bit of the waiting game. The, the sponsoring office is still keeping their cards a little close to their chest just for a little bit longer as they kind of dot their I's, cross their T's. So for now, I am keeping a running list of members who we think are interested in co-sponsoring. That includes all of the members from last Congress. So if that's if your member co-sponsored was an original co-sponsor in the last Congress or a regular co-sponsor, they are already on the list. If you have a member who's not did not co-sponsor before and you think would be interested, by all means, shoot me their name um, and then I'll have your contact info. As soon as we get the go ahead from the sponsoring office, we will let liaisons know and uh, group leaders know and then the outreach can begin and we can um, start getting them on. Um, but definitely as early as June 13th, everyone will be lobbying on it. So um, for now, that information is coming to us, but we will have uh, that information for you for June 13th of who to direct the staff to. Excellent. There's two additional Energy Innovation Act follow-up questions, one of which is, does it currently look to have a Republican co-sponsor? And if you're in a meeting with a member that co-sponsored last time and they ask, do you anticipate any major changes to the new bill, what will you suggest on that? Yeah, so that's part of the waiting game. We are um, holding out hope and we are trying very hard in, in the sponsoring offices as well to see if any Republican is willing uh, to come on as an original and make it bipartisan. So we will know that in the coming week or two. So you guys will have that information um, leading up to the lobby day. Uh, so so we'll definitely have that for you um, in terms of uh, in terms of whether um, who you should who you should direct people to um as i said we'll have a lot of that uh as we get closer to it. i'm sorry i don't have more clear up-to-date info but hopefully in the next week or two we'll have uh more clear clear information on exactly what you'll be saying and who you'll be directing people to during the lobby day yeah part of this is that dance of uh, getting information to everyone as early as possible while also still withholding the fact that there's a lot of time between now and the june conference sorry to cut you off then no it's 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 fine brad um, and I'll just add um, that, you know, this is one reason you guys are coming to D.C. Um, to let members of Congress know. So there's 
nothing is completely baked, especially if the bill has not been introduced yet, this is an opportunity to get it in front of a lot of offices and potentially like dig up like a new Republican co-sponsor to like, you guys do great work on these things. And so this is one of the reasons we come to DC to you guys are the main force behind CCL. So um, we'll be looking forward to seeing what things you guys can shake loose from the tree. Here's to that. All right, here's next two questions, both on permitting reform, both a little bit were touched on last week, but maybe we can expand that. Phil asks, uh, what key components of permitting reform are really those that make a difference in speeding up the process? And building on that, Jeff asks, how will CCL advocate for solutions in permitting reform that minimize fossil fuel emissions impact? Now, that, that's a great question. Now, I mean, everybody wants to have all the specifics. And one of the things we talked about on Thursday is right now there's a whole bunch of bills floating around up there. And almost all of them have like some good provisions, some have better provisions than others. And there is, this is one of these things where there's not a precise right answer for what are the best permitting provisions. And everybody is trying to work in that direction. There are a lot of meetings going on. We're participating in meetings. A lot of smart people from the administration, from the house, from the Senate are all working to figure out like, well, how do we, how do we unlock permanent in a way that really unleashes the clean energy revolution in a way that really gets bakes in all those emissions reductions we want? And so we're not, but we're not really being prescriptive right now because right now we think there's still a real need for just the will to get this done. And I mean, we've laid out those four principles that we want a transmission component that allows transmission to be completed in a much more timely fashion. Like right now, we're looking at like. 10 years sometimes to get these interstate transmission lines permitted and cited and all that, which is clearly not soon enough if we're looking at 2030 for emissions reductions. We want to speed up the process to permit um, these clean energy projects and not have it last four or five years um, and have a much shorter timeline. We want federal agencies to work in a way that is more efficient and doesn't duplicate processes. And we want to protect communities. And if you take all those kind of four principles, there are multiple ways you can get there. But what we think is still necessary and what the message we need to bring to the Hill is the political will, the need to like move forward in a bipartisan fashion. That's the other big component to this. Anything that passes this Congress and gets to the president's desk is going to have to be bipartisan. And members need to hear that message from us. Absolutely. So building on that here, this is a longer one from Alex. Hi, Ben and Jen. I don't know if you're aware of this bill. I'm the liaison to my senator who will be asking him to support clean energy. And then there's a link to this. Um, that is a specific piece of legislation that I would encourage you to email uh, the DC team. Um, this is a specific piece that uh, Senator Daines and Cantwell are supporting. But rather than get into that specifics tonight, just given that this is such a broad audience, I'll probably just steer that towards a uh, one-on-one -on -one correspondence, unless either of you want to weigh in on the um, U.S. Senate uh, Danes and Cantwell Act. Well, I'll to just, bolster, I'll just to bolster hydropower in Montana and Washington. Yeah, I'll just throw in that there are a lot of different uh, clean energy permitting bills, a lot of different permitting bills that have been thrown out there. So do not be surprised as you start researching your senator or your House member if they have press releases, if they've introduced bills, if they've 
um, introduce frameworks, things like that on permitting reform, some aspect of it that's relevant to their state or their district. And while we are not taking a formal position and, and jumping on because there's so many ideas out there, we're not latching on to one of those. It's likely that any final permitting reform package is going to be bits and pieces of all of these different proposals. Even though we're not jumping onto one of those specific proposals, it is extremely helpful for you to be aware of what your member is interested in so you can start that meeting on common ground. So instead of going in and talking just about here's our permitting reform priorities, here's what we think, start with what have they already done? What parts of permitting reform appeal to them, whether it is hydropower in this case, or it might be the community engagement side and making sure there's public comment periods. Whatever it is, learning about that upfront and talking about it early on in the meeting is going to set a really good foundation and a little springboard for us to then pivot to, well, here's what we want to see in that final bipartisan permitting package. Excellent. And a reminder again, uh, thank you, Lisa, for sharing this in the chat. I think we all know this, but just to say out loud that we keep loving information for specific members of Congress Confidential. So in your discussions leading up to DC or any in public you know, forum space, be sure to just continue to abide by that with anything that you're hearing from them. All right, Cheryl asked this next great question, just to reinforce a reminder, is there a specific permitting reform bill we anticipate to be lobbying in support of? Not right now. Um, we have talked in the past, there is the possibility that a bipartisan bill that grabs all the best pieces um, that we'd like to see and has that bipartisan support that could bridge all the divides with the House and Senate enough to get across the finish line could come out and we could take a look at that and be like, this is the bill. This is the bill we want to put all our weight behind. It is unlikely that that happens before June. And I invite people like to take a look at some of the bills and pick out some of the things if there's particular things you of interest that kind of fall within those four areas of criteria like we got to have a transmission piece and you can certainly emphasize those things and I'll, I'll just say it's not while for us the last couple of years we've been very focused on the energy innovation act um which is a little bit different and the supporting asks we've been very specific on like specific bills but it's not that uncommon to push Congress in this way, to leave some wiggle room, um, to have general principles, um, because sometimes it's it's just too far out to say like, you know, the Caston bill or the Carper bill or the um, Mansion bill is the bill. And so right now we wanna just hold back because we really do think barring something happening with the debt ceiling, this is going to be a long conversation. Um, Jen and I, friends, I think we have meetings scheduled on permitting reform and the specifics of it already scheduled throughout the summer. That's how people think it is. That's why we're so focused on let's deliver the message to keep doing this and, and have bipartisan conversations. And then as we go along, you might see from us activations to say like, all right, we all need to like make a lot of phone calls and emails on this particular bill or this particular provision. We're just not there yet. Excellent. This next question comes from Peter and it's just a little bit more details on the farm bill. Why is it that you shared that it's likely to be postponed to next year on the training last Thursday? Well, the farm bill is a pretty comprehensive, uh, controversial piece of legislation, I'll say. It, it governs 
almost all of our agriculture policy, but forestry policy, as well as our nutrition policy and touches on some infrastructure issues like broadband. So there's a lot of moving pieces to that bill. And obviously it touches every single congressional district. So it's not an easy thing for them to come to consensus on. Uh, the sticking points traditionally, and I think that's largely what's happening now as well, are the nutrition pieces. So thinking of SNAP and other food programs, um, there's uh, factions who want to cut them or change them, add work requirements. There's factions who want to expand them, broaden them. Um, so that's typically the sticking point. And they got a little bit of a late start on it, this Congress, which happens, especially when majorities are changing over. Um, but they're just not as far along in the process as they need to be in order for them to move a bill this year. So given where they are now, it is projected that they will pass a short-term, basically a short-term gap um, piece of legislation that will reauthorize the existing farm bill for probably another year and allow them to still finish it this Congress, um, but probably in 2024 will we see that. And we are paying close attention. We're looking at a lot of the different marker bills that are coming out that people are introducing with the hope of them being included in the farm bill and so as we see more pieces of legislation come out and the process gets further along down the road we will be communicating a lot of different priorities to you guys uh, as it relates to the farm bill and our ag action team has been so helpful uh, in helping monitor some of that so definitely stay tuned post june because i'm sure we will be doing some good work on forestry and some other ag priorities all right, so Larry asked this question, should there be another supporting ask directed at protecting climate action funded provided through the bipartisan infrastructure and inflation reduction acts as the debt ceiling process continues? You guys might remember we did mobilize on this. You probably got some emails and some text messages when there was a vote in the house upcoming where we really wanted to send a message to say, hey, these, these IRA provisions are important and they need to be protected. And while members felt, uh, particularly Republicans, because they, they thought the debt ceiling bill was more of a messaging bill, a, a place to start negotiations, um, that they could still vote for it, even if they supported those provisions. But we still had a lot of members feel the kind of heat that we put out there and went down to the floor to make some statements that they didn't really necessarily support IRA repeal. And so we had an impact. Um, if we feel like there's a need for that again, um, we will certainly activate along with some of our coalition partners to push back on that. Right now, our sense in DC is that those IRA provisions are safe. And one thing we also did um, back in March with our conservative conference and lobby day, we did do a little bit on the farm bill side of protecting those IRA provisions and let people know how important those were that 20 billion for climate and conservation that was included in the ira so we've done a couple actions already and if we see the need we will certainly do so again um, but right now we think in the immediate debt ceiling discussion um things are looking pretty safe excellent i put a link to the uh, place where everyone interested in continuing to protect that can still take action in the chat and we've gotten several questions as well already about the resources available for comparing current permitting reform proposals in Congress and if we're keeping it updated. And that link is also immediately in the chat if you look there, as well as the responses to those answers. So here's a great one that's been asked a few different ways, and that is Danella's uh, clarification 
are we supposed to ask two primary asks for the house or pick one? How do we decide if our primary ask is on clean energy permitting reform or on the Energy Innovation Act reintroduction or both? Yeah, we definitely do want these to be co-primary asks, so equal weight to both of them. Um, thinking through permitting reform, how important it is, you might have a member who's already very engaged on it, already supportive, but we need to push them, like Ben has said, towards a bipartisan solution. So all members, every part of the political spectrum, every party, House and Senate, need to hear from us on permitting reform and the importance of a bipartisan solution that's gonna reduce emissions as well as protect American communities and our health and safety. On carbon pricing, we definitely want all House members to hear about EICDA. There's been a bunch of things that have kind of changed with passage of IRA, uh, with, with a lot of different things happening in Congress, and there's so many new members in Congress. So we definitely want to remind them about the importance of carbon pricing, that that has to be a part of this solution long term to hit our emissions reductions. And we want especially some of those new members, or maybe members who just didn't quite hear us the first go around, uh, we want them to really hear our message on carbon pricing and EICDA. So absolutely try to split your time as, as well as you can, starting on a place of common ground for both topics, but definitely please fit both of those into your lobby meeting. Um, and then if you have some spare time, that's where we would suggest looking at those supporting asks and trying to throw one of those in there, one or two. But the priority is gonna be these two co-primary asks. And I would just add, just given like the, the germaneness of the topic to what's going on in Congress, it's it's probably a good idea to lead with permitting reform. And you might be surprised it might um, open up conversations in a, in a way that is a little different than if you've been lobbying, say, a Republican member of Congress on carbon pricing for the last six years. Just bringing up a new topic that's important uh, might really open up the conversation when you move on to carbon pricing. So I would, I think, Jennifer, you agree, I think I would lead with permitting reform, be a good way to go. Excellent. Thank you so much for all of these clarifications. We next have a suite of Energy Innovation Act clarifying questions again. Um, this one is a theme on one that was asked earlier, but we'll just reiterate it here. Um, have there been changes that we anticipate to the Energy Innovation Act this time around? If so, how has it changed? And can you also comment on why it has not been reintroduced yet? Are revisions being finalized? Is the lead sponsor trying to gain an influential co-sponsor, et cetera? All of the above. Um, no, I think one thing we you can anticipate, unless something happens and Congress can surprise us, you can expect the same language for the most part uh, that was introduced last Congress. Um, there shouldn't be any major changes. It's a good bill. It's a good starting point for a carbon price. There will be changes in dates because obviously um, when it was introduced last Congress, that was two years ago. So dates need to be changed in it, but the majority of the bill, the vast majority besides those technical details is going to remain the same unless there is a big conversation between a lot of members. They see it, see a need for change. Um, but particularly, I don't know if you people remember like some of the regulatory language was removed last Congress um, when Congressman Rooney was no longer a co-sponsor um, so expect the exact same text unless you hear otherwise from us this year. And yes, uh, the there's always a delay in introducing bills. 
Um, obviously, Congressman Deutsch, um, if people recall, didn't get the bill introduced until I think almost April last Congress. Um, and it was the same thing you've been working on, had introduced it before. Um, as Jen said, they had kind of a slow start to Congress and getting committees organized and getting things set. So it just sometimes takes a little while and members like to have conversation with other members. Um, our, the, the lead sponsor definitely wanted to talk to member, other members about the bill. And so that's that's why it states on. It's not because there's anything wrong with the bill or somebody doesn't want to introduce it. It's just Congress moves slow. Excellent. And this is another great question related to that from Lisa. And that is we're focusing a lot on the House side here. Um, but on the Senate side, do you also want us to see engaging in discussion around political will building for carbon pricing or to not have that be one of the two focuses for the Senate meetings? You know, I'll just jump in here, Jen, since I know you're just staying for the Senate. Um, yeah, really for the Senate, we do want to focus on permanent reform. While, you know, obviously we had HR1 pass in the House and it is it is a priority for the House. Really, the negotiations are probably going to come down to the Senate when it comes to permanent reform. And that's where we really need to make sure we have a solid bipartisan coalition of members working together and talking. And because it's really relevant to the House, because Energy Innovation Act is getting reintroduced in the House, um, it's it's a good opportunity to just have a sole focus on permanent reform in the Senate. And then if and then we have an opportunity with several supporting asks over there if you uh if you have time to interject those into your conversation. Um, but as always, we trust you guys. If you see a need with your member, you've made progress. Um, it's always worthwhile to remind members that we still think a carbon price is a really necessary component to climate policy. Excellent. And last thing on the Senate side for carbon fee and dividend, in your estimation, it seems highly unlikely that there will be a Senate equivalent bill introduced by the time we get to DC, correct? Uh, by the time we get to D.C., certainly, I really am actually optimistic that this Congress, we will see some carbon pricing bills in the Senate and particularly some things around a carbon border adjustment mechanism or a carbon border tariff or a international polluter fee, um, all these different things. So the conversation will continue, um, but we, we see those kind of playing out a little bit later. Uh, and so we want to be focused on what's right in front of us with permanent reform. But believe me, we will be talking about it in the Senate, uh, I'm pretty sure, before this year's over. Good news of a harbinger to come. Thank you. All right, so this next one is curious about uh, how much CCL or others that are in this space are also working with other organizations, like the Climate Leadership Council, for example, on getting Republican co-sponsors for the Energy Innovation Act. Yeah, we're working with all of our coalition partners. Uh, we were fortunate to form a pretty strong coalition with a bunch of different groups, including CLC, uh, with during the IRA and our big push for carbon pricing and how, how mobilized uh, all of you were. The tremendous volume of calls and emails really helped. Um, so that coalition is still going strong and now is turning its attention to current bills, including EICDA. So absolutely a lot of coalition work going on 
on our end here to try to support you guys as you go into your lobby days, do some do some extra nudging uh, to push your asks forward. And you'll see at on, in June conference, if you can make, you'll see a lot of our uh, partners up here in DC will be joining us in June in breakout sessions and in the um, main sessions as well. So we'll, you'll get to hear directly from some of those folks. Excellent. These are all so helpful. Thank you all so much for asking such great questions. We're about halfway through. Um, here's the next question from John in Wisconsin. Do any of the permitting reform bills that are circulating include mining permitting for metals needed for the clean energy transition related to Dr. Adam Simon's presentation? There are a lot of bills out there and some of them do contain things around um, minerals and mining. Um, but you said there's no one that we centered on, but certainly HR1 has some stuff and some other members have introduced standalone um, bills relating to mining. So there's definitely some like, let's call it legislative dialogue out there on the issue. Excellent. And if you want more of that conversation, I know there's a robust uh, discussion happening in Nerd Corner too connected to that. All right, so um, Bernard asked this great question. Why wouldn't we lobby Republicans for a CBAM instead of Energy Innovation Act, since CBAM seemed bipartisan and that's been a focus of ours in prior lobby days? I said direct all hard questions towards Jen. <laughs> I'll jump in. Well, one reason, no, I mean, yes, you have a good point. We, we have, I'll, I'll always remind people that um, last June, one of our primary asks for Republicans was take a look at a CBAM, and several of them have. Um, and that's why we expect some CBAM legislation to come out. But we still think we need a carbon price. And while it could be really beneficial to have a, a CBAM standalone bill to lower international um, emissions and even put some pressure on our industry to lower emissions, it's still, Energy Innovation Act is a good bill. It's coming out, it's very germane. None of the CBAM bills have been introduced. Um, we are, you guys always have the leeway, especially when talking about the Energy, Energy Innovation Act, to emphasize the border adjustment side of it. And the fact that the EU is going to start um, collecting information on the carbon content of imports starting this October, um, if I recall correctly. And so you can definitely frame the conversation around a CBAM while you're talking about the Energy Innovation Act. Jen, do you wanna add anything there? I'll just throw in that a lot of this is just trying to be as strategic as we can, knowing how influential you guys are. We wanna make sure you're using your time to the best of your ability because you're so effective in those lobby meetings. And it, it is precious time since we've got uh, two big fly-ins or, or two big lobby days um, every year. So we did, you know, we have asked folks what would be helpful. And right now the CBAM conversation is not in a place where it really benefits from added pressure from grassroots. Uh, there are offices, like Ben has said, who are working on it, who are engaged, who are planning to introduce different bills. So it's not in a place where uh, we need to push people necessarily to drop these bills or to work on them. It's kind of just waiting for their timelines to speed along until they have a product. And then we can start pushing people and, and mobilizing behind some of these things. But it's just um, not the best timing for that. And instead, that's why permitting reform and EICDA are, are much more timely asks that I think will be just so much more beneficial and we'll get a lot more bang for our buck 
uh, lobbying on those. Excellent. These are all so helpful. Danelle asked this next question specifically about what typical op opposition arguments might we see from those identifying on the progressive left regarding permitting reform and what might be a good response? I can start. I'll throw out a couple uh, of oppositional arguments and then Ben, maybe you can uh, fill in where I where I lack. I think one of the big ones and one of the biggest hurdles is just the the understanding that it needs to be done. There are members who just don't think permitting reform is necessary. And that's where our conversations, particularly on the left, about the impact to the IRA come in. Uh, there's a lot of great research Dana has done. I encourage you guys to check all of that out on permitting reform. But some of it does center on the fact that we will not get up to 80% of the emissions reductions that were projected from the IRA if we don't do permitting reform. So it is a must have in order to get those emissions reductions from the IRA and then on top of that, get the rest of the emissions reductions, we need to hit some of our targets. So it has to be done. I think that's part of the first message. The second concern a lot of progressives have, and understandably so, is that it's going to speed along different fossil fuel projects. And all of a sudden, there's going to be this drastic increase in emissions. And the clean energy side of it is isn't is not going to impact that. It's not going to over outweigh the fossil fuel projects. And that is just not true. Uh, there are absolutely going to be fossil fuel projects that are moving through the same permitting process that clean energy projects move through. It's these, these processes are the same for clean energy and for fossil fuel. So you can't separate the two. That being said, and Dana has great research on this as well, the vast, vast majority of projects that are gonna move through new permitting processes are gonna be clean energy projects. So even if there are one or two fossil fuel projects that end up moving forward and benefiting over the next five years, next 10 years, 15 years, the vast majority of those projects are all going to be clean energy. So it's they vastly outweigh any of the fossil fuel impacts that could happen from permitting reform. Um, and using some of that data that Dana has out there would be extremely helpful to push back on that narrative that this will just be a handout to fossil fuel, because obviously we would not be advocating for a handout to fossil fuel, um, and, and this is definitely going to be clean energy permitting reform in the way it benefits mostly clean energy projects. Well, ben, if you've got anything to add to that? No, I, I think that was very well said, and it's just, it is, a, it is an interesting hot topic because if we've ever worked on anything that was more bipartisan, uh, like it, it was, it, but it was still fraught, um with some some questions and emotions i think permitting is probably that and i think we should acknowledge that and and this i'll just channel senator schatz um when he was speaking a couple of months ago and he said one of the things is um just traditionally environmentalists environmentalists have had a a mindset of preventing things from being built particularly fossil fuel infrastructure and the simple fact is now with climate change and switching to a fossil free infrastructure, we've got to build stuff and we've got to build it at a speed and scale necessary to meet the challenge. And so it's going to take a little mindset change um, that and as everybody knows, like the Congress and DC is one of the slowest to change their minds. Um, and so, yeah, you might you might get some pushback, and that's okay. 
but we've got to push from both sides to get to the middle on, on this particular issue. Very, very helpful. You're getting a lot of thumbs up also in the chat uh, from those questions. Thank you so much for asking all these clarifying ones. We're at the halfway mark here. So 51 answered, 51 open. Gerald asks, is it a good idea to just contact the energy staffer for your member of Congress and directly ask them what they might be doing already on permitting reform to try to get a feel for what they're supporting or find out what they're hanging back from and not engaged on that issue? I would say that's part of the goal of the meeting itself. So definitely in the coming weeks, you guys are going to be working on your meeting plans, you know, before and during the conference, you'll be meeting with your lobby teams. That's where I would do a lot of this background research. So I'd be looking at their website. I'd be looking at congress.gov to see the bills they've introduced or co-sponsored recently. I just do a Google search of your member's name and permitting reform. Um, and see what pops up because there might be some some news articles that are local that talk about their position. But all of those all of those little bits of details you can get ahead of time are going to help guide you as you start planning your meeting. But really during the meeting, we want to ask those exact questions. I wouldn't reach out to the staffer in advance just because we don't want to take up any more of their time. Um, and we want to make sure we're getting the most out of these meetings. And that's where we can get into a lot of that discussion. So I would do the research now, find out what you can on your own, and then ask those, those perfect questions you laid out, ask those during the lobby meeting to get a better idea of where exactly they are on permitting reform. Excellent. Well, here's the question that uh, is on everyone's mind, I'm sure, from Daniel. If the debt ceiling is not raised, how would that impact our approach and priorities in June? And we briefly talked about that on Thursday, but we have a little bit more time to expand on that. Yeah. Um... That's that that that's that's a hard one because um, nobody exactly knows how it will play out. We've never breached that ceiling. Yes, like folks might remember when we've had government shutdowns because we didn't pass appropriations bills to fund the government. This is a completely different animal. We've never had this happen before, and hopefully we won't have it happen now. And so it's really hard for us to predict how it will play out if we breach the debt ceiling. I mean, there's there's a couple of different scenarios that if we breach the debt ceiling, it could be a brief 24-hour, 36-hour thing, and then Congress realizes they really need to act quickly um, to raise the debt ceiling, make sure everybody's paid, et cetera. Um, or it could be a longer, a longer period, um, which would be really pretty bad. Um, but in that scenario, the government will have to figure out um, where to send the money because there is money coming in. And so it would be whether or not to prioritize social security checks and Medicare or government agencies and various things. There will be a, a million little choices that will be being made in real time of where to send that money. And so we don't know exactly how it will reverberate throughout. Um, DC in some previous governmental shutdowns, Congress was shut down, um, where like the office buildings were closed and staff were sent home. However, in more recent years, um, member offices have declared themselves essential and stayed open. Um, and so our crystal ball is not functioning at all when it comes to what would happen, but um, I know and folks on Instagram reporting, it seems like the X date is pretty closely going to be around June 1st. 
And so best case scenario, um, Congress will resolve this as they've always done and will be moved on to other issues. And then we can really lean into um, the ones we care about most, that being climate by the time you guys get here. I, I was just going to say <laughs> either way, you're very doom and gloom about it, Ben. I just think what a time to be in DC. This is perfect timing, all the action, all the excitement, either way. Um, it's fantastic. I'm, I'm, I mean, hopefully we don't go off a, a cliff. I, I hope they resolve it. But um, for us, I'm, I'm excited that we've got all the action, all the attention, everyone's coming to DC. I think it'll be a fun time. And to Jen's point, I'm not all doom and gloom. If if we need to alter um, the way we're doing things, we're still going to deliver a strong message to Congress. Um, if we have to um, go to the Hill in force and stand outside the office buildings um, and invite members out to talk to us, we'll do that. But we're coming to DC one way or another to deliver a very strong message on climate action. Here's to that. Uh, here's a question from Bernard about the Forest Act. Can we talk a little bit more about why that wasn't supported ask yet? Does it have to do with the fact that it wasn't reintroduced yet, or is there anything else going into the calculus? Yeah, we are waiting on reintroduction. There are some targeted efforts, and we're a part of a big coalition here of groups that are supporting the bill. There's some targeted efforts to get uh, more Republican support for the bill, particularly on the Senate side. Um, but yes, we are awaiting reintroduction as soon as we've got more information on when that's coming and timeline, we'll absolutely let people know and then we will be um, building support for that bill. It's just not quite the right timing for that one yet. And, and I just want to say kudos on that bill to a lot of you that have lobbied on it. Um, it has been impactful. Um, offices have taken notice and they're, they're talking about it with Senator Schatz. And so like the previous conversations you've had on the force bill have really had an impact and it will be something we'll, as Jen said, we'll be talking about more once it's reintroduced. Thanks so much, everyone. A big shout out to all the help also for everyone that's sharing in the chat, um, especially if you have a question that you think would benefit from the wisdom of the crowds. I know we've got a lot of friendly chat angels tonight, so you're welcome to put anything there, seeing a lot of love and support from each other in that shared wisdom space of all 256 of us on the line here. Um, so we've got 10, uh, 10 minutes left and uh, we're over halfway through all the questions. Uh, so we'll do our best to get to what we can here. The most upvoted one currently right now comes from Phil and it's more of a comment at first and then a question on clarification. We could really use more direction on the key components that matter on permitting reform. Right now, it seems we are not providing enough substance to our primary ask in great detail to the amazing detail we provide in the Energy Innovation Act. Yeah, no, that's that's true. And like I said, it's it's a different animal this one is. And we will see, you have to almost go back and remember, um, as a lot of us can, some of us can't, I don't know if I can remember last Tuesday sometimes, but um, back before the Energy Innovation Act, we had a very general ask around carbon pricing. We want there to be a steadily escalating price on fossil fuel emissions. We want there to be a dividend and we want there to be a carbon border adjustment. And those were the principles we went out and lobbied. And eventually we got a bill that um, incorporated those principles. But sometimes you start from a more general place and get to a more specific place. And we're just in a different point in our timeline than we are 
from the Energy Innovation Act, but expect as this conversation proceeds um, for there to be more specifics. Um, and it's been a really fascinating process as you know, Jen and I have been in rooms talking to people and gotten with really smart people. Um, I said before, like people don't necessarily have all the answers. There's about 2000 people I think in DC right now working to figure out the answers to some of these questions. And so that's why we're still really focused on the big level. Let's work on it. Let's make it bipartisan. Let's make it effective and protect American communities and households while we're doing it. Um, and I'll, I'll admit like it's a, it, it feels a little bit different to not be able to say like this specific bill with all these details, um, but we have to be comfortable in all these different spaces to be effective. And hopefully we get permitting reform done in the next couple of months. And then we move on to the next most important thing, work on in climate. And so this will always be an evolving process as we work and you guys work and you know, um, you're really the most impactful part of the CCL team. Um, and so we're just going to see this evolve over the next years as we all work together to really address the climate crisis. And I'll just throw in that we have talked to a lot of our climate champions on the Hill who are just so excited for us to be on the Hill talking about permitting reform. Um, they are working through some of these nitty gritty details with, with their counterparts on the other side of the aisle um, and trying to come up with a final solution, but really have stressed to us that there is a void of environmental climate activists who are willing to speak out on permitting reform and advocate for a bipartisan solution that's going to reduce emissions. So we are we are filling a really big void that's really going to benefit some of our, our allies on the Hill who are working towards this final package. So even though we're not talking about, like Ben said, some of these, these line by line details, just having our voices heard on that level is what's needed right now to get this moving to steer it in the right direction so it is benefiting clean energy and ultimately get it across the finish line. Well said, Jen. Here, here. Um, our next most popular question remaining comes from John about a concern that prioritizing community input in permitting reform might open the door to NIMBYism. I know that we're gonna have a chance to talk to Bill McKibben specifically on that given his recent Mother Jones article, um, but do either of you, he's the June uh, CCL national call speaker, um, but uh, do either of you have thoughts about this? You know, we, we, we have to have community engagement. You know, people have to have input into what's happening in their communities and people most impacted need to have a voice. Um, I don't think we want to back away from that as an organization. And we just want to do it in a way that makes sense uh, that, um, you know, having a voice doesn't necessarily mean holding something up for 10 years. What I've said, and I can say, hopefully through this process, we get to somewhere where communities are able to have their voices heard in a meaningful way that benefits the project, them, and the outcomes. We get to a yes on good projects much faster, and we get to a no on bad projects much faster, which that also benefits everybody. Like this is in no means a rubber stamp for any energy projects, whether it's fossil fuel, or clean energy projects because there's concerns around all these things. Um, but there's no good outcome if you cut community engagement out of 
our our current permitting procedures or environmental reviews. Like the people that live there need to have a say, um, but we just need to do it in a more efficient manner. And hopefully, ideally, early community engagement can lead to better outcomes for the communities themselves and a better understanding of projects um, and be beneficial to the timelines to get some of the good projects we want to see go through happen. Jen, do you wanna add something there? Yeah, no, I think that was perfect. I'll just add one argument I've heard uh, when someone pushing back against a Republican lawmaker who was concerned about this exact thing, that if you strengthen community engagement, aren't we just slowing the process down? Because a bunch of people will say, I don't want that in my neighborhood. Uh, the pushback came from an environmental lawyer who said the vast majority of community engagement right now is not working. It's unsuccessful. They're not being heard. They don't have access to even submit their feedback, whatever it is, or the timing by which they are submitting it renders it pretty useless. The project has either already moved forward or has been changed by the time they're able to put their feedback in. And so instead of this community engagement happening, happening early on, being seriously considered and then acted upon by the agency and the project sponsor, what's happening is those are ending up in litigation and that just drags on and on and on. So we have a broken community engagement process right now that's leading to years and years of litigation. If we can reverse that and have a successful community engagement process, reduce the litigation, ultimately we are really speeding up this timeline um, that would really outweigh any concerns about NIMBYism uh, just it would be it would be really drastic. So that's just one one argument I've heard that seemed relatively effective. And I, I'm super pumped, um, Senator or Congressman Peters. I, I I just I just promoted him because of how much I I esteem his opinion. Will be joining us uh, in June at our reception to talk about some of these very issues. And I think Congressman Peters is very eloquent and intelligent in the way he approaches them. And and he gets into this a little bit, so I think that will be kind of um, I see on the cake to hear from from Congressman Peters uh, at our Tuesday reception. I'm very very excited about that too. These are all so helpful. Thank you all. We only have time for four last questions here with four minutes remaining, um, and this one comes from Matt. What is your best argument for why carbon pricing is still needed beyond the Inflation Reduction Act? I've got a couple of helpful blogs I can put in the chat. Anything else in addition to citing some of our research team's efforts that either of you two would like to include? I mean, I think certainly like I'm just I just need to carry that chart around with me all the time with like the the big red and blue wedges on carbon pricing, permanent reform, and these things. Um, IRA gets us a good good start. We're hopefully on a downward trajectory. You had permanent reform; it speeds that up. Permanent reform also helps uh, the effectiveness of a carbon price when it is implemented. We have a lot of trading partners um, that now have a carbon price, and uh, EU in particular, obviously, is going to have their carbon border adjustment. We'll have Canada potentially at some point. All these things still speak to the need for a carbon price to get us all the way there when we're looking out to 2015. And I think that's that's what we just always have to go back to. We have to look at the redu reductions and emissions we know are needed. And it's really hard to make the math work unless we have a carbon price in place at some point along this trajectory. But every emissions reductions we can achieve through other means, we should grab those. And because we don't wanna, 
you don't want to come in at the last second, right? Like, I mean, we don't want to be like at 2050. We want to, we want to, we want to win this race with some time to spare. Um, and so I think that's a really good, um, but why we continue to push for a carbon price, because it's still a really important tool in our climate toolbox. Excellent. Thank you so much. Uh, this question comes from Trevor. If your member of Congress is already a champion for carbon pricing and permitting reform, do you have a recommended primary ask or meeting focus? I would definitely, if you know they're going to co-sponsor EICDA and you're not uh, too worried about that lift, we still put the plug in for it, but I would focus more on permitting reform. Even if they're a champion of permitting reform, we need to understand exactly what are they a champion of. They might be a champion of certain pieces of permitting reform, either cutting the red tape, speeding up the process, or of the community engagement side. Um, we really want to push all members. A lot of them are in favor of permitting reform, but we want to push them towards a bipartisan solution and then stress our four priorities that we need included in any final package. And that's all included in our talk last week that we did, and it'll be in the ask sheet as well. Excellent. Well, we are at time tonight. So I just want to thank especially Ben and Jen. Thank you so much for all of your availability. We cruised through over 70 questions in less than an hour. And I also want to give a huge shout out to everyone that made it tonight, all 250 plus of us. We really hope that tonight's focus on just being able to speak more specifically to your questions is helpful. We do want to remind people that we have all trainings available on the community as well as YouTube. So we are posting. We also have a wonderful reminder of our preparing for the 2023 conference and lobby day training. I'll put a link to that in the chat again, uh, where it details all of these timelines and the links to trainings, whether you can make it live or see the recorded version at any point, please feel free to continue to check those out um, at your own leisure. A reminder that we do have a Q&A session tomorrow night for especially new volunteers, first timers that are coming to DC. And on Thursday, we have our transformative power of constituent advocacy training that's really going to dive into reminding us of the power that we all have in meeting with our members of uh, Congress as representatives and constituents. So at this point, uh, I'm going to unmute all lines since we're at time so all of us can say thank you to Ben and Jen. If you need questions after tonight, you can simply go to cclusa.org forward slash forums. And we look forward to seeing you in June online, in person, either way. Thank you all so much for being here. And the lines are unmuted so we can all sign off and say thank you as we leave. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate you. Thanks, Brad. Thank, 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 thank you, Ben and Jen. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Citizens Climate Lobby's training program. You can tune into more episodes anywhere podcasts are available. Inspired by what you heard today? Join Citizens Climate Lobby to advocate for bipartisan climate solutions. Go to community.citizensclimate.org to find more trainings, resources, your local chapter, national action teams, discussion forums, and more. Be sure to like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Citizens Climate. We also invite all of our listeners to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more inspiration. Like what you hear? Recommend us to your friends and make sure to give us a five-star rating. It helps us show up on other listeners' feeds. Feel free to pass on any suggestions for future episodes in the comments as well. And together, we are creating the political will for a livable world.